glad that blood never loses its power. Uh, we'll keep it in the same key and let's try and find that song, Isn't He Wonderful? Isn't he wonderful, wonderful, wonderful? Isn't Jesus, my Lord, wonderful? Eyes have seen, ears have heard what's recorded in God's Word. Isn't Jesus, my Lord, wonderful? Now isn't he wonderful, wonderful, wonderful? Isn't Jesus? Jesus, my Lord, wonderful. And eyes have seen, ears have heard what's recorded in God's word. Isn't He, Jesus, Lord, wonderful? Oh, isn't He wonderful, wonderful, wonderful? Isn't Jesus, my Lord, wonderful? Eyes have seen. Ears have heard what's recorded in God's word. Isn't Jesus, my Lord, wonderful? Oh, isn't He wonderful, wonderful, wonderful? Isn't Jesus, my Lord, wonderful? Oh, eyes have seen, ears have heard what's recorded in God's word. Isn't Jesus, my Lord, wonderful? Oh, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And oh, Lord, you know, I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. They're all expecting me, and that's one thing I know. I fixed it up with Jesus many years ago. I know he'll see me through, though I am weak and poor. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And oh, Lord, you know, I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore just over in glory land we'll live eternally the saints on every hand are shouting victory the songs of sweetest praise drift back from heaven's shore and I can't feel at home in this world anymore and oh lord you know i have no friend like you if heaven's not my home then lord what will i do the angels beckon me from heaven's own 
door And I can't feel at home in this world anymore And oh Lord you know I have no friend like you If heaven's not my home Then Lord what will I do The angels beckon me From heaven's open door And I can't feel at home in this world anymore Amen We'll go ahead and change the order of our service here And now we'll just sing I need you Lord Before we take our prayer requests this evening So I need you Lord I need you Lord right Brother Matt, uh, we just uh, have a couple prayer requests here. Uh, we just want to remember Sister Tracy Rabin. Uh, she's at home sick with the flu, so we just want to remember her. And uh, we all know that um, many of the brothers uh, started their journey earlier this week to Africa, so we just want to uh, remember them. And there's others, I believe, who are going a little later, either uh, today or later this week. So we just want to remember them that the Lord would uh, give them safe traveling mercies and that um, he would just uh, touch their efforts of what they're doing over there as well tonight. So uh, that's all the prayer requests that I have uh, this evening. Um, we all have unspoken prayer requests and just by the lift of your hand, the Lord knows that need. Um, I'm glad we have a place that we can come because there's not many people that have a place that they can go. So I'm just thankful for that this evening. So if I could have uh, Brother David come at this time in prayer with these prayer requests. Let us pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we just 
Thank you for the opportunity, dear Lord, to come into your house midweek, dear Lord, to lay down our cares of this world, dear Lord, and look heavenly to you, O God. We just ask forgiveness for our failures and our shortcomings, dear Lord, our sins and transgressions against you, dear Lord. We just lift up those uh, these prayer requests that are mentioned, dear Lord, those that are sick in the body, those that are traveling, O Lord. Just be with those brothers who are making the trip to Tanzania, dear Lord. Just go before them, O God. Send your angels before them to minister those in their path, O God. Make their burdens light, dear Lord. Let them accomplish what you set forth for them to do, O God, and bring them safely back among us, O God, with a testimony of what you're doing for those believers over there, dear Lord, and you're revealing yourself to them, O God. We just ask, dear Lord, as we come and approach your word, dear Lord, that you anoint the minister's lips. He's coming, dear Lord. Just move the man out of the way and come sovereignly in your grace to us, O oh God. Just ask you to anoint our ears to hear what we have need of, O oh God. We just give you the remainder of this service. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats. Let's uh, pull up that song. Um, I don't have any specials, so we'll just sing a couple songs this evening before uh, the minister comes. Um, Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be the Lord of all, Jesus be
in the manger of my heart and let it live in me let it start live inside this house of clay and mold it every day oh let your word be born in the This house of clay and mold it every day. Let your word be born in the manger of my heart. Live inside, live inside this house of clay and just mold me every would come forward at this time. this evening. Let's put it in the key of G. Let's just sing this before the minister comes this evening. Fill my cup, Lord. I
it in the key of F. Put it in the key of D. Sorry. There's a fountain open in the house of David to you. For 
Brother Mike comes this evening. And I want you more than gold or silver only you can
apologize for being late coming out here. I didn't recognize the call. I apologize. I'm glad the brother thought enough to come knock on the door back there because uh, I'd still be standing there. <laughs> amen, amen. I appreciate the opportunity to be here tonight. Uh, maybe seat it for a minute. Amen. I certainly appreciate, as always, Brother Barry's invitation to have an opportunity to come speak with you, share with you what God has put on my heart. Pray to be a blessing to you. And uh, since the last time I was here to be with you, uh, I had another follow-up doctor visit with uh, the uh, cardiologist, and uh, he wanted to run another exam. He had uh, asked me why I hadn't had the surgery. I said, well, I wanted to meet with him again. He had wanted to schedule another meeting just to talk to him about exactly why he was recommending the surgery to begin with and uh, told him in the body, I feel great, feel as good as I have in years. And I uh, just wanted to know what was the urgency behind the surgery. And his comment was, well, things like that sometimes have a tendency to get worse. And he said, and, and even if it didn't, he said other complications could arise in your body that are unrelated to that that could cause health issues, which could compound. And he said, so um, his thought is to take care of it while everything is going good, in so many words. And so, uh, so that way you don't have to worry about a problem later down the road. And so uh, I told him no. He said, I'd be glad to recommend a surgeon for you. And I told him I didn't think that would be necessary because I'm still trusting God to take care of the problem. I will admit I was disappointed in my last exam because I was really hoping and expecting that when I went to the exam, things would be different where they weren't. So, um, but that doesn't change his promise. I'm just as confident tonight that it's a finished work as I was the first time I made that confession talking to a doctor two years ago or a year and a half ago. It hadn't been quite two years, but a year and a half ago. So, so anyway, I just wanted to give you that update because I know I've had many uh, faithful prayers that go up on my behalf from this church, and I'm still believing that those prayers are not in vain. 
that God's going to deliver exactly what he promised because he always does. But anyway, having said that, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And uh, tonight I want to talk about something that's sort of related to what my testimony has been, actually trusting in God. And I'm not preaching this because of my testimony. I'm actually preaching this because God put it in my heart this morning. I actually uh, had planned on, at least I thought I would be preaching tonight on uh, the true worshipers. Jesus Christ speaking of in St. John chapter 4, when he says, The Father seeketh such to worship him. I thought I'd be talking on that tonight, but this morning... So in prayer, God changed my thought, and I said, well, I believe that he believed, I believe he changed that thought for the sermon tonight, so that's what I'm going to be working with. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn me to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read one verse, Matthew chapter 5. It might sound a little, a little odd in terms of context to what I'm going to preach on, but I hope by the time the service is over, you'll understand why we were going this way, <clears throat> going this way. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and before we read, let's just bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to give you thanks tonight for your grace. Thank you for your unmerited favor. Thank you for your love that you've shown upon us, your precious promises. Lord, for how you've kept us through the years. And even now, Lord, you're with us. We don't stand by our own power, but we stand by your grace. Lord, we don't come to this pulpit tonight by our own ability, our own power. But, Lord, we come dependent upon you. Lord, we're here with the gift. That's all we have. That was what you gave us. So, Lord, now we take what you've given us and we give it back to your hands. And that's by your favor, Lord, that you will use it tonight. Help me to step aside that you might increase. Speak to your people. We ask your grace in Jesus Christ's name. Be with our brother Barry, brother Stephen, Lord, as they're traveling overseas. God, may you use them to accomplish the purpose for which they were sent. Lord, may you minister grace to the hearers. Lord, may they return home with a spirit refilled, Lord, knowing that they've done your work, feeling confident, Lord, that the trip was not in vain. Bless them, Lord. Bless us here tonight. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. St. Matthew chapter 5. One verse, verse 6. Put my little helpers on here. It says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Just bow our heads again. Dear Lord, we thank you. We've read your word. Lord, I ask your grace. Speak to each of our hearts tonight, mine included. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. My title tonight, and I'm going to go ahead and take my jacket off before I even get started. My title tonight is Let Go and Let God. And my theme or my subtopic tonight is resting. Resting in the promises of God. Now this thought of resting, it's not for us to get lazy on God. Not for us to sit down and and, uh, sit down on God. But my thought of resting here tonight is that we might know how to properly place our confidence. Not in our flesh or no man's flesh, but in the one who's called us by his grace. By resting in the promises of God. Now we say resting in God, that sounds easy. But men of all ages have struggled with this issue of resting in the promises of God. And that struggle 
or that wrestle goes with believers just as much as it goes with unbelievers. Quite naturally, we expect the unbeliever to wrestle with it. But we search the scriptures, we find that believers wrestle with it as well. Humans struggle with this thought of resting. And when we talk about resting, we're talking about resting or being free from the burdens of work. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, And thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had made. God's resting here does not mean God was tired. God doesn't get tired. So when God talks about resting, the Bible said he had finished his work. So the resting simply meant that there was no more work to be done. Therefore, he could be rest. Why? It was finished. And when the bride and the believer thinks about resting, the resting doesn't mean the fact that you're physically tired, though you might be physically tired. But the rest that I'm talking about is the recognition that something that had been burdening you, something that had troubling you has been finished. And because you see it is finished, now you can relieve yourself from that burden and now you can have rest. Do you understand the concept? That's resting. It means to be free from work because the job is finished. Let me give you an example tonight. Take your pastor, Brother Barry. Brother Barry contacted me about a week ago and said, Brother Holloway, he said, would you happen to be free next Wednesday night? Because he had a burden. He knew he was going to be traveling out of the country. He knew that the service would have to go on here at the church. He knew he would not be here at his post of duty to carry on that service. So he had a burden. He wanted to see somebody carry on because the work must go on with or without him being present. And so he contacted me and said, Brother Holloway, could you take the service now? That doesn't mean Brother Holloway was the first one he contacted. A lot of times pastors might call first person, not available, second person, not available. But why? That burden is there until he can find somebody that he has confidence in and say, brother, can you come? And that brother says, yes, I'm available. I can be there. Then the burden is relieved. Why? Because now, watch this now, he's found somebody that he can shift that burden to. Now, he's no longer burdened in the same way about the service. He's burdened in a sense that perhaps maybe he prayed about it, said, Lord, bless the service, or prayed about it in some other capacity. But he's not burdened in terms of who's going to be present. That burden is finished. Why? He's found somebody he can share that burden with. He shifted it to somebody else. Why? Because they made him a promise. They said, Brother Barry, I'll be there. Are you following me? So that's just a natural type, how one man can shift his burden to another man. Why? Somebody has confidence in that he can take the load off himself and put the load on somebody else. Well, I want us to recognize tonight that God wants us to rest on him the same way. The Bible said, what? Cast all your cares upon me because why? I care for you. So if there's something that burdens an individual, God wants you to recognize he doesn't want you to be the one to carry the burden. If you have enough confidence in me, he says, shift your burden to me. Why? Because I want to carry your load. Are you understanding? And then that burden to God, what does that mean? Do you carry it with him? No, sir. You give it to him. Why? Because now you enter into what? A sense of rest, knowing that the situation is under control. Are you following me? That's how I want to take for my theme tonight. So once someone has that confidence that somebody else has agreed to and now the responsibility shifts and that other person can rest. That's the way we do it to God. We want to shift our weight or our burdens to God and shift the responsibility to him from our present condition to his hands, believing he's able to take care of the situation. And at that point, we let it go. Because when you let it go, that's the only time you're really going to enter in to rest. Now, I want you to understand something. Brother Holloway, that sounds simple. That's the challenge. 
for the human being, it sounds too simple. I want you to watch this. Why do we struggle if it's so simple? And part of it has to do with the way, listen, in which we are made. God made you, God made me as a man in the beginning, listen, to be an achiever. God made the entire human race, man and woman, to be achievers. Watch what Brother Branham says in the message, Unity of One God and One Church. He said, you know, God has made man to achieve. That's what man was made for. And all down through life, he has tried to achieve something. And his achievements, the reason that he tries that is because that he was so designed to do so. God made him that way. Why do we try to do things? Why do we try to take responsibility in our hands? Why do we try to make something out of nothing? Why? Because God made you that way. God didn't want you sitting idle. God didn't want you sitting by. God wanted you to have a responsibility, and he wanted you to have a sense of uh, urgency about that responsibility. So the reason we try to do things is not because we're out of order. God made you that way. You're actually in order. Are you following me? But watch the problem. Watch what Brother Bama says. But the trouble of it is, is in his achievement, he tries to do something within himself. So God wanted you to be an achiever, but God didn't want you to be the achiever within yourself. God wanted you to rest in a higher power to facilitate or to bring about the achievement to which you're trying to achieve. Let me give you an example. Let's go to scripture. If you look at Moses, Moses was actually made to be an achiever. God made Moses from birth to be what? A deliverer because God wanted to deliver his people of Israel, but God never wanted Moses to fulfill this achievement on his own. God wanted Moses to rest on something else to fulfill the achievement. So Moses trying to be a deliverer was not out of order. He was actually in the will of God doing the very program of God. But what was the problem? It wasn't what he wanted to do. It wasn't who tried to do it, and it wasn't his motive for doing it. But what was out of order was the way he went about trying to get it achieved. Now, I want you to watch this. That was Moses' problem. And that becomes our problem because a lot of times, instead of us resting on God, listen, to achieve something for us, we think that somehow or another, because this instinct that we have to be an achiever, we think somehow or another we can do it ourselves. Watch what the Bible says in the book of Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Trembling, excuse me. For it is God which worketh in you. Now watch this. Worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You see, as you're working out your salvation, as you're trying to take care of these things in life, God doesn't want you to do it by yourself. God wants to be the one in you bringing about his promised word, bringing about his salvation, bringing about his grace for whatever he's promised. He doesn't want you to do it yourself. He wants to be the one in you. Why? Because God never wanted man to be his interpreter. God has always wanted to make a promise and then come on a scene to be his own interpreter of his word. But the problem is instead of us resting on God, we think that sometime that we have the ability to do these things within ourselves. But let me keep moving. So God makes a promise but he wants to work in the man that he has chosen as his agency to do his own will. But because man has had this constant desire to be an achiever, he has had a problem when it comes to resting and letting God be the center of that achievement. Now, let's look at Abraham, my father. Abraham learned a valuable lesson about this sense of achieving. 
If you look at the book of Romans, and if you want to turn there, that's fine. If not, I'm going to read it to you anyway. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. I want you to watch what the Bible said about this man that has such great faith and how this man that had great had to recognize, that had faith, had to recognize that his achievement of this promised son was not going to come by his works. Listen, nor was it going to come by his merit, but his achievement was going to come by one thing, faith in the promised word of God. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he had whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. There's always this fine line in the human mind between what I got to do and what I don't got to do. What God's going to do and what man is going to do. But when you can recognize by the scripture that everything we're going to receive from God is not going to come by your works. It's going to come by one thing. Faith in the promised word of almighty God. I want you to follow me on this now. He had to let go of what he thought as a man and let God, listen, manifest his own word of promises in him. Let's get back to the text again and look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed, ye, blessed are ye which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. This is not just a scripture or not to be taken just as a verse. But listen, this is a word of promise. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Listen, for they shall be filled. Now, I want you to watch this. This hunger that you got, this was not something that you created. This hunger that you got was not something that you merited. This hunger that you got was nothing that you even asked God for in prayer. This hunger that you have was something God gave you. And he said, because of that hunger, I'm going to be the one to come down and satisfy the hunger. And I'm making you a promise that I'm going to do it. And so the believer doesn't rest on what he can do. If you've got that hunger tonight, rest upon your promise. And Brother Brown said, if you don't have that hunger, he said, then you're in a sad shape. But if you do have that hunger, you've got to learn to rest in God fulfilling every word of his promise. Now, I want you to watch this. This is not a scripture, but this is a promise. You see, man, before he can ever come to God, the Bible said we must first believe that he is. And that within itself takes a certain measure of faith even to believe that God is. Because we're not just, we, see, when we were coming to this world, we were like babes. I'm not talking about so much in the, in, 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 in the emphasis stage when your mom held you in her hands and had you in a bassinet. I'm talking about even when you became five years old, even maybe when you became 12 years old. When we were younger people in life, listen, there was a time you didn't even know who you were. Somebody had to tell you your name was so-and-so. Somebody had to tell you, this is your mama and daddy. Somebody had to tell you, this is the house where you will live. Somebody had to tell you, this was the city where you were born. You knew none of that information. Somebody had to make that information known to you just to recognize who you are. Are you following me? And so just as you had to come to the understanding of who you are, something had to come to you, listen now, to bring you to the recognition of who God is. Because a lot of times people that first experience or first thought of God isn't really who he is. Because the heathens do that all the time. They make idols. They make images. They have what they call premonitions or whatever you call them. We call them visions. But they have things that they believe reveal to them who God is. But it shows the revelations wrong by watching how they worship. They don't worship based upon who he revealed himself to be. They worship based upon their own imaginations. And a lot of times, even in a Christian realm, people don't know who God is. They're simply 
going by what somebody told him that that God was. That's why we have Trinitarian ideas and we have all kinds of ideas. Why? Because they don't really know who he is because he hasn't revealed himself to them just of yet. So just like you had to be revealed to you who you were, you can't come to God until first he comes to you to tell you who he is. And I can't do that. Neither can Brother Barry. He has to come to you and tell you who he is. Then when you know that, now you got something you recognize. Now watch this. You begin to recognize who he is and to know who he is. That alone takes faith. But once we have that knowledge of who he is, listen, then something in our heart begins to hunger to want to know more about him. Watch what Brother Brown says. Because God put it in your heart to hunger for him. You may have had that hunger when you were five. You may have had it when you were 12, but you didn't know what to do about it. But when he came to you, now you know where that hunger's coming from. Brother Brown gave the story one time about a boy that ate erasers and he ate pedals off a bicycle. He said, why? There was something in him calling for sulfur. And the mother knew when he ate the erasers that was wrong. But when she saw him nibbling on a bicycle pedal, she knew then I've got a problem with my hands. And she took him to a doctor. And when the doctor did a blood examination, they found in his body there was a deficiency of sulfur. And what was rubber made out of? Sulfur. His body wasn't desiring rubber. His body was desiring sulfur. And even though he couldn't understand the desire, it was already there. But it just took an instrument to bring out what the real problem was. And that's why we hear the word preach. You've got a hunger, and you might not know what it is. And it ain't for money. It ain't for popularity. What you're hungry for is God. But it takes the preaching of the gospel to reveal him to you. Watch what Brother Branham says in the message, Thirst. He says, you might say, Brother Branham, is that soul thirst, is that natural? Brother Branham said, yes, that's natural for your soul to thirst. It's, it's, it, he said, and it's for God made you that way. So God made you to be an achiever, and God also made you to thirst for him. These things are natural to you. You just got to know what they are and how to channel them in the right direction. Now watch this. He said, it's for God made you that way that you would, would thirst for him. He wants you to thirst after him. Now God made you like that. He didn't have to make you that way, but he did it. He said, and if he hasn't had, if he hadn't have made you that way so that you would thirst, there would be an excuse at the judgment bar. Say, I never did thirst for God, but there is no excuse now. You do. Are you following me? So God made you that way to thirst for him. And there's something in your life right now that feels a void. And that void that you feel is, can only be filled one way, and that's by God. Now, I want you to watch this. You say, Brother Mike, I've already received him. I have as well. But I still feel a void. Why? Because something in me says there's more of God that I have not yet received. There's something out there that I'm desiring that, guess what? If the, I'm like the little color man, Brother Bam, say, he had a slice of watermelon. He said, I enjoyed the slice that I have, but something in me tells me there's more of it. Why? I want another slice. And though you might have a feeling, there's nothing wrong with hungering that you might get a refilling. Are you following me? When a man says, I'm satisfied with God, I want no more of him. I'm worried about that man. I believe that God is an inexhaustible fountain that is being poured out like a brother was singing, like a fountain from the house of David. I'm hungry for more of that fountain from the house of David. Now, let me keep going. So God made us a thirst for him. Thirst was given, listen, to be an alarm to your body. I'm talking about natural thirst now. It was given to be a long for your body 
to let you know that there's something missing. When you start to get thirsty, your body is beginning to dehydrate. There's a lack of moisture sufficient for the body to operate properly. And so that thirst is telling you, get something in you, get something to drink. Why? We need it in order to continue on with what we're trying to accomplish. Why? Because if we don't get it eventually, certain organs in your body will begin to respond in a negative way. Why? Because you're not obeying that thirst that God put in there to tell you your body's lacking moisture. Are you following me? And so if you take a man that's thirsty or dying of thirst, you might come to that man and say, sir, you know what? He said, I need some water. He said, well, I don't have no water, sir, but I'll tell you what. I got a check for $1,000. I got a check for $10,000. Maybe one day $10,000 check would have made him kick his heels and go, whoopee, this is my blessing day. But if he's dying of thirst, he's not worrying about $10,000. That's not what his body's crying for. The only thing that's going to make him kick his heels is when he can find that what he's hungering and thirsting for. You follow what I'm getting at? So when you're hungry and thirsty for God, I don't care how much we try to satisfy some other way, you'll never really get the satisfaction until you fill it with the thing that God put in there to make you hunger for him. Now let me keep going. So you, maybe one other time you don't rejoice over the money, but not when he's dying of thirst. When he's dying of thirst, he needs something else. He knows his body needs water. That's the same way it is with God. When you're hungry for God, you find a man that's really hungry for God Things of the world start to get pale to him. Whether or not he's doing good or doing a job or not doing good on a job. Whether or not he's doing good in the family or not doing good in the family. He wants to do good on a job. He wants to do good in the family. But if he really gets hungry for God, those things become trivial in a certain sense. Why? Because there's something on his mind that's elevated and become a more of a priority. Why? I've got to get this thing satisfied. Brother Brown was the same way when he went into the third pool. He said he got to a spot the way he told his wife, he said, honey, he said, I'm going to leave and go into the desert. He said, I'm not going to take strip. I'm not going to take water. I'm not going to take anything with me. He said, this thing that's burdening on me so bad, I got to get in the presence of God and sell this thing and find out what he's doing. Why? God was moving him to another ministry and he was feeling the burden of it and it was a hunger for him. Why? to it. So when the Bible said, if you hunger for his righteousness, listen, you were ordained to it. And he promised if you were ordained to it, he's going to see to it that you are filled. Don't try to quench it. Don't try to put it off. Don't try to put it to the side. It's going to happen one way or another one day because he ordained you to it. So you might as well give in and say, Lord, (laughs) you got me. I've got to deal with this thing. Let me keep going. One day he reveals himself to you. Now you know there is something out there. Because something that your five senses couldn't declare, but now another sense has revealed him to you. Proverbs 9, verse 10 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Now we know that there is a true God. And we know that he is revealed in his word. But when a man has the beginning of knowledge... He's now coming to a different recognition. He knows that God is. But watch this next verse. Verse 11. Then God says, for by me, as he's revealing himself to this man, has now come to this knowledge. By me, thy days shall be multiplied and the years of thy life shall be increased. You now recognize that this God who's made himself known to you, he's holding your life in his hand. You might think, oh, this is my life, and to a degree it is. But whether you serve him or whether you do not, your life is still 
in his hands. The Bible said that when Christ paid for the sins on the world on Calvary, he said he now becomes a judge of the quick and the dead. Why? Because all things now belong to what? Belong to him because he paid the price for the fullness of the world. Are you following me? So whether we serve him or whether we not, we are what? The Lord's. Now watch this. So we recognize that he revealed himself to us, but he also revealed something else to you that you belong, that you belong to him and that your life is in your hands. How do we come to that? You come to that by faith. Now, first, he had to give you a thirst. Then he came to you to satisfy that thirst. That brings us to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm just building a foundation to get into my scripture. He that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. The key part of that is the shall. The shall is a promise, and that promise is unconditional. He didn't say you might be filled. They that are baptized in my name, <laughs> repent and baptize my name, might receive the Holy Ghost. Shall. You see, when God makes a promise, God's promises are not yea and nay. God's promises are yea and amen. But as believers, we've got to shift our attention from trying to figure out how do we fit into the promise with what we got to do. We got to start hearing the word as a promise, recognizing what he said he's going to do. Not what I've got to do. Hear what he said he's going to do. Abraham, I have already made you what? A father of many nations. It didn't matter how many cities he went into, whether it was Gorea, whether it was Egypt, whether it was Palestine. It didn't matter. God had promised what he was going to do with Abraham. Now, God's business was to get Abraham in position so he could fulfill his promise. Because he couldn't do it with Abraham out of position. Now, God is working on the man to get him in a position to recognize the promise is his. And when he gets into that place, then God fulfills his promise. The Bible said he had to wait till Abraham's father died, and then Lot was separated. And then the Bible says, I believe it's chapter 14 or 15 of Genesis, the Bible said, then God came down to Abraham and said, now look eastward and westward. God had to get him in a position to put his blessing on him. God's going to fill you if you're hungering the right way. But he's got to do some things to get you in position to receive your blessing. And the first thing he's got to do is to get your mind off of yourself and put your faith on him. Now, I want you to watch this. This brings us to Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now, I want you to watch this. Why were these two boys worshiping? God said he made them to hunger after him. They had come to an age of accountability. Maybe once upon a time, Adam pulled them to the altar, said, come on, boys, both of them. Let's go make a sacrifice to God. And the boys learned under Adam what it meant to sacrifice to God. But one day they had their own burden. I, I, I appreciate Adam leading us the way he has. But I, there's something about this God. I want to know him for myself. I want to hear God speak that to me when I approach him at an altar. It's fine that he can approach Adam and, and speak to Adam. It's fine he can approach Eve and speak to Eve. But what about me? <laughs> It's fine God could talk to Brother Barry. It's fine God could talk to Brother Holloway. But what about me? That's something he said, God, if you're out there, if you're that real, I need you, God, to come speak to me. Make yourself real to me. I'm hungry for that, God. He'll meet you. He met Abel. He met Cain. But he met him in two different ways. You see, when he came to Abel, the Bible said when he revealed himself to Abel, how did Abel receive him? By faith. But because Cain didn't have a revelation, did God forget about Cain? No. God came to Cain even without Cain having a revelation. 
because God saw that Cain had the same hunger or the same desire to know him like Abel did. So in fairness, God came to Cain the same way. But what was the big difference? The Bible said when God came to Abel and said, Abel, this is the thing that will satisfy your soul. He gave Abel a revelation. What was his revelation? It was a promise. What was the promise? There's a coming Messiah. And when he comes, his blood is going to die for the guilty one. And Abel's works testified of his revelation. What did he say? God, I believe in that blood. And he gave God what God promised was coming. But when he came to Cain, he said, Cain, I'm not in vegetables. I'm I'm not in fruits and nuts. I'm in the blood. I'm going to reveal myself in the blood. And if you want to please me, you have to come meet me where I am. And my promise, Cain, is one day, do as your brother did. He's got the revelation. But Cain never had the revelation. Listen, but Cain had a commandment and Cain had a promise. And this is my thought tonight. Abel wasn't trusting in his works. His works testified of his faith in a promise. Are you following me? When Abraham testified he's going to have a child, and Brother Bram says, Sarah began to make booties. He said, honey, we're going to need, we're going to need a pair. It's going to be a boy. We're going to need this. We're going to need that. And Sarah began to be obedient to her husband. She began to make booties. What was Abraham doing? It wasn't his works that was going to bring that son. But his works were only testifying. Listen now, where he put his confidence. He had placed his confidence not in his flesh. Listen now, church. He had placed his confidence where? In a promise. Even when his body was dead, even when Sarah's body was dead, that has nothing to do. If you place your confidence in a promise, the promise cannot fail. And if you got faith, you know that. I don't care what a doctor tell me. Our instruments say this, that, that, or other. I don't condemn their instruments. Those instruments were reported what they see medically. But I'm reporting to each one I can. What I see spiritually, God's going to give me a new heart. Why? Because he promised to heal me. Brother Bram said every mortal being was healed when Christ died on Calvary and shed his blood. Every mortal being, sinner and saint. He said, well, why is not everybody healed? Every man doesn't have the faith to receive what God is pouring out. He said, but if you'll just confess it and walk in it, you might not have that mountain moving faith where you just speak it and it moves. He said, but if you have a faith the size of mustard seed, he said, just start confessing it. He said, and over time you watch the charges of God move slow but they'll begin to move. But that takes faith not to go back on your confidence in his promise. You see what I'm trying to shift to? Cain could get a commandment, and the commandment was connected to a promise. If thou do as thy brother did, shall thou not be accepted? Are you following me? And if you do as your brother did, I'll give you rulership over him and make you ruler over your brother. It came with a promise. But Cain never looked at the promise. All Cain could see in the word was a commandment. You see, he had confidence in his offering. And when God came with the word, his confidence didn't shift, listen now, from himself to God. Listen now, his confidence remained in himself. All he could hear was another commandment. Abel didn't continue to rest in his ability. When God showed him what the real 
avenue of salvation was, what the real hope of glory was. Abraham, Abraham dropped that off himself and put it on the lamb in confidence that there was coming a greater one that was going to take away his sin. It shifted from himself to the God that met him. I'm afraid a lot of people, even around this message, the word is not becoming a promise to you. Listen, now I'm not speaking to you as a church, but I'm talking about that. I'm talking about individuals. Michael Holloway, too. I'm preaching myself tonight as much as I'm preaching anybody. The word has to become a promise to you. And when the word becomes a promise to you, you're not resting in yourself no more. The one who made the promise, he's under obligation. Brother Bram said, no man has any worth anymore in his word. He said, if God can't keep his word, he's no longer God. That's a big statement, but it's the truth. And Brother Bram said, God would never make a promise. He wasn't man enough to back it up. Now he's just searching the earth for people that'll believe him and take him at his word. The rapture isn't no work of the flesh. The rapture is a promise. And I'm resting in a promise, not in myself, but in the one that's called me to a promise. Shifting the responsibility. The promise allows you to shift your responsibility. When my wife married me, she had a job. She took care of herself to a degree. She had a mom and dad that she'd go home and say, a little short on money, and get a little extra cash if she needed it, buy a little extra clothes if she wanted something. Are you following me? She was still under her dad's headship. But when she married me, listen, responsibility shifted. She now looks to me in this relationship to be the one that's going to take care of her needs. If she's looking at me in the right way. And I now have the responsibility to make sure that whatever she needs, I go ahead, like Brother Bam say, I work my hands to the bones to make sure I take care of her. Why? I've accepted her as my responsibility. And the Bible said in the, in the book of Hebrews that when those men that called themselves pilgrim strangers on the earth, when they recognized that God was God and they forsook this world to identify with him, the Bible said God was not ashamed to be called their God. If they love me that much to be identified with my word, I love them that much to come down to their level and be identified with them. When you take God and his word of promise, God is willing to come down from heaven, not to meet somebody else, but to come down and meet you. There's a song I've been listening to that means so much to me. It means, it's the song is titled A Widow with Nothing. And it's talking about the woman in the book of, uh, I think it's Second Kings. And the woman had actually had no, no money and all she had was a little, a little bit of uh, livelihood or whatever. She had, and when that ran out, she had two children. And all of a sudden, she had no food and no oil. And the Bible talks about how they were coming to take possession of what little bit she had. Why? Because she couldn't pay her bills. But then she said, I know there's one in my darkest hour where I can go to. That's Jehovah. And she cried out to Jehovah. And because she was willing to identify her needs with him, he came down and met her needs. Are you following me? And when they came for her, all Elijah told her to do was go get as many pots as you could find. Why? Because God's going to fill those pots to take care of all of your needs. You'll have enough money to pay your bills and then live off of for the rest of your life. Are you following me? God able to meet the needs of those that trust in him. So what I'm trying to bring is very simple tonight. Let's move from our ability to achieve anything to confidence in the one that can achieve everything. And the Bible said they that can believe like that to them, all things become what? Possible. Why? Not because of what they can achieve, but their confidence in what he can achieve. Let me keep going. You see, Cain thought that by hearing a commandment, he just got more frustrated 
because he never heard God's promise to him. All he heard was a commandment. The rich young ruler was the same way. If you want to look in the Bible, if you can't turn there with me, in the, in the book of the Bible, I believe it's, uh, uh, oh, bye. bear me for a minute. Bear me if I find it. Matthew 19. The rich young ruler. He had the same dilemma Cain had. You see, this rich young ruler, how did he become rich? He was an achiever. He saw opportunities. He knew how to master and capitalize on opportunities. And he could take advantage of opportunities. And they would prosper him, naturally speaking now. And he was making dollar after dollar, deal after deal. And he became a rich man, not in his latter years, but as a young man. That's why he was called the rich young ruler. Now, watch what the Bible said about this man that has such confidence in his ability to achieve. Watch this. Matthew 19, verse 21. Jesus said unto them, if thou will be perfect. Now, why was he coming to Jesus to begin with? If he was such a great achiever, why was he even talking to Jesus? Because he had an understanding in his heart. I won't say a revelation. I'm going to say understanding. What was his understanding? He knew he lacked something. He was hungry for something that his human abilities could not achieve for him. And he knew the only place to get it was God. And he knew that he needed an instructor, somebody to help him in these things of God, because he had been raised by a godly mother and father. He had been raised in a Jewish religion. But in all he had done by his ability, he said, I've kept these things since my youth. I've been trying to follow Moses' message since my youth, and it hadn't got me where I want to be. But something in my heart tells me there's a God. <laughs> and I want him. Boy, that's a hunger to have. I don't care how you've been raised. Something in your heart now has come to a point where you said, I want to know that God. Maybe my parents knew him, but I hadn't met him like I need to meet him yet. He had the right hunger. But he found out that him just keeping the law would not satisfy the hunger. Why? He needed something greater that God had to reveal himself to him. But now watch what Jesus said. If that will be perfect, go and sell that he has and give to the poor. Now, you see this man that knew achievements. God gave him a simple one. You're such a great achiever. I'm going to give you a small achievement. Go to your bank tomorrow, withdraw all your money. Walk down the street to the synagogue or to some charity. Say, give this to the poor. You can start that morning, you finish afternoon, and you'll have eternal life. My, that seems simple, don't it? But there was a problem. He had a hunger. Listen now, he hungered for God, but he had a hunger that was greater than his hunger for God. You see, what he had achieved meant so much to him, he couldn't dream of letting that go. Certainly this is not a requirement. This is not connected to my eternal life. Well, for him it was. Why? Because his problem was covetousness. Do you know what covetous mean? Covetous doesn't mean you want your neighbor's wife. Or you want your neighbor's car? That's, a, that's, that's just an attribute of covenant. You know what real covenant is? Not to be content. Not to be desired. Not to be content with that which you've had. That's why Paul said godliness with contentment is great gain. He said whether I have much, I'm happy. Whether I have little, I'm happy. Whether I have much, I have little. I learn to be satisfied with what I have. Why? That's real godliness. But covenant is no matter what God gives you, you ain't satisfied with it. 
You always see the need or desire. You got to have more. And that was Satan's problem in the beginning. God had made him everything up to a right-hand man. The only thing he didn't give him was creation, and he wasn't satisfied. And that spirit comes down upon the human flesh. And as human beings, God bless us, and we're happy for a little while, but it doesn't last long. Then we want more. And Brother Bam said, what was this rich young ruler's problem? He was covetous. Brother Bram brought him out of scripture. He said, now go over to another chapter. Go over to the book of St. Luke, and we're going to read more about the same man. The Bible doesn't call him rich young ruler this time. It just said that he was a rich man. Brother Bram said it's the same person. He said, watch what happens when he turned down eternal life. Why? Because that, listen now, what he was hungering for was eternal life. That would have given him rest. He could have rested at that point. He wouldn't have had to worry about how he managed barns. He wouldn't have had to worry about how he managed his account. He wouldn't have had to worry about nothing. Why? Once he got what his soul was hungry for, he could have been at rest. But the thing that he was holding on to never gave him rest. It just gave him worldly burdens. And Jesus tries to try to take the burden off of him and give him the thing that could really help him. But yet he didn't want to let go of the thing he loved so much to get the thing that he was really hungering for. You see how simple I'm trying to bring this. God comes on the scene. He gives us the promise. And all he says is, don't work. Just let go. Let go of what? Let go of everything. Anything that comes between me and you, just let it go. And I'll give you riches in heaven. I'll give you more than you. I'm part of blessing you can't even imagine to receive. But you got to be willing to let it go. But the rich young ruler had the hunger. But the stumbling block was the thing they had between him and God that he couldn't let go. Are you following me? Some of us right now are still hungering because there's things that we just refuse to let go and let God. You see, when you think if I let it go, I've worked hard at this. This is what I know. This is my comfort zone. This is how this is how I make my living. This is how I do whatever, whatever, whatever you put. You put your list. You put your name, whatever you want to be. But God is simply saying, if you let it go. And you put God first. Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and what? His righteousness. And what? All other things should be added unto you. What if he would have gave up his millions for Christ? That would have so freed his heart, God might have gave him two million. Because why? His heart's finally free. The same way he let the first million go, he let the second million go because he found something greater than the money. God is looking for people not to so much be mystery chasers. I believe that mysteries are... Now, I hope you recognize that I'm actually preaching the mystery of redemption. You see, Adam let go of the word for a material. It was called his wife. She was flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone. Now Christ is saying a man that forsake his father, mother, husband, wife. Now he's asking us to forsake everything to come back to what Adam lost. See, we can't bring that world in with us. we got to be willing to let it go. But if we let it go, God makes you a promise. He'll give you such as whatever you have need of because he promised to take care of you. But we got to have enough faith in him to take him at his promise. Listen, and then let everything else go. See, that little bit of fear in our mind 
causes us to put our hands to things to think, but there's certainly something else I got to do. There's certainly something, something about me that's in this. Brother Babbitt said, you don't have a part in that. Take your hands off of it and let God take control. But that takes an inner faith, not a mental faith, an inner faith to believe that the one that made the promise will never fail on his promise. Never fail on his promise. Let me keep going. Let me keep going. This rich young ruler, watch what the word says. Jesus said unto him, if thou will be perfect, sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasures in heaven, and come follow me. See, the word came to him with the commandment, just like Cain, but with the promise, just like Cain. Just like Cain could only focus on the commandment and not the promise, the rich young's rule of mistake was to hear the commandment, but to have no faith, listen, in the promise. God, listen to what Jesus told him. Watch the promise. Thou should have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. He wanted eternal life. If this earth is going to pass away, and you believe that, but God promised you treasure in heaven, which is going to be eternal, what would be the greater? You follow me? Reasoning can't understand that, but faith grabs a hold of it. Let me keep going. He had a commandment, but he also had a promise. His problem was he could see the commandment, but he had no faith in God's promise. Now, let me just go a little bit further. Faith goes beyond the head. Faith doesn't reason with the promise. The promise comes down to the heart, which is the soul, because that's where man is thirsting. You're not thirsted in your head. You're thirsted in your soul. Let me give you a simple illustration. If you find a man that's thirsty and he's thirsty for water, I mean, really body hurting, cursed the kidneys starting to shut down, thirsty for water. And I had five gallon bucket of water and I started taking that water cup by cup and pouring it down his back, pouring it by his back. I got enough water right now to completely hydrate his body, to put him back where he needs to be. But what I'm doing, if I keep pouring it down his back, he's got the right thing, but he's being applied the wrong way. But if I ever turn him around and put his face in that bucket and said, drink, and drink, and drink, after a while, he said, hallelujah, why? His body's getting what it needs. Why? It's coming down the right avenue. And if all we keep doing is taking the word up a here and up a here and up a here, and I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this, and you keep doing that, yes, it's the water, yes, it's the word, but it's coming down the wrong avenue. But if it ever strikes here, now, all of a sudden, that man's got strength. Something's telling him it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Why? He promised it. And something in here says, I believe it. Amen. Now, watch what Paul says in Romans. I'm going to try to bring this to a close. I think you're catching my point. Watch how Paul describes this in Romans. You see, we as humans, we try to be achievers, not recognizing that our achievement by our natural efforts is only bringing us under a commandment. And yes, the commandment is the word. And yes, the word came from God. But it's coming down the wrong channel. You can do that, like the rich young ruler, and say, I've done it since my youth. And I'm just as weary tonight <laughs> as I was when I was five years old. And now I'm 32 or 35 or 40 or whatever you might be. Why? It's not come down the right channel. But if you get quiet before God, say, Lord, I need you to speak to me. 
I believed your word. I'm not doubting it tonight. But maybe I'm not getting it in the right channel. But you got that hunger. Let that hunger be a sign to you that the gods gave you that hunger with a promise. And don't approach him by works. Approach him as a God of promises. A God that makes promises that he does not break. And when your reasons say, but it's not for you, you say, then why am I hungering for him like this? Where'd that come from? I didn't ask for him. I didn't, I didn't beg for this. This thing is gnawing at me and it's calling me and I can't get away from him. Why? God's calling you. And he wants you to respond to that call. But don't respond putting the water down your back. Open your mouth and say, Lord, fill me with that thing that I'm hungering for. And I'm willing to let go of whatever I got to let go. If it's blocking the channel, let me let it go. I want that thing to fill me. Are you following me? Approach him as Abraham did. Upon the basis of a promise. You are pleasing. Because you're not coming back to him. Listen. Quoting what somebody said. You're reminding him of what he said. Just like Moses. When God told Moses, step aside, I'm going to destroy these rebels. Moses said, but Lord, you promised to bring him in the land. And if you destroy him in the wilderness, then the whole nation would say, God could bring him out, but he couldn't keep his promise and take him in. God said, well, I'll forgive this generation, but they'll not go in my promise. He said, but the children shall possess the land because I kept my word. God will keep his word. Are you following me? Don't go by what it looks like. Go by what he said. Now watch Moses, Romans 10, verse 5. Now I'm not going to be much longer. Romans 10, verse 5. For Moses described the righteousness which is of the law, that if a man doeth those things, he shall live by them. You see, that's the carnal commandment. That's where the human achiever sees the word only as a letter. And he sets out in his own ability to try to achieve it. But that's not what God's after. Watch what the word says. That's that's what the rich young ruler had. He heard the carnal commandment, but he never heard the grace of the promise. Verse six. But the righteous, which is of the faith, speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven. You see, because really what you're after is beyond your ability. (laughs) If you're going to try to do it in your own works, go to heaven and bring righteousness down. (laughs) Or bring Christ down. You see, what we're hungry for is beyond our ability, naturally. But it's not beyond your ability, spiritually, if you have confidence in the one that made the promise. Are you following me? Watch what Paul says. He's trying to bring it down real plain to us. Who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. In other words, who's got the ability by the letter, by works, to go up and do this? No man could do it. Neither could Abraham. Abraham couldn't produce a child by his works. He only produced a child by his faith. Let me keep reading. Paul and Romans. I'm skipping some of this for time's sake. I tell you what, I'm not going to skip this part. Let me read this, and then I'll try to bring it to close on Romans. Watch what Brother Brown said about Abraham. When God came to Abraham with promise. The message of Abraham, 1956. Brother Brown says, and when God made a covenant with man, Man always breaks the covenant with God. So God, by foreknowledge, knew that there had to be some preparation made to save man. God made this covenant with Abraham unconditionally. Now, that may be a little strong, but he made it unconditional. Before Abraham did anything to merit, God said, I have already finished it. 
Now, do you see how promise works? The promise is him committing to do something before the situation ever arrived, before the foundation world. He promised to do these things. And he's looking for somebody that's going to trust him on his promises. Now, watch this. Nothing Abraham he did, he had to do with it. I have already done it. You're coming to me in an old age. I've already saved you. And not only have I saved you, but I've saved your seed after you. Not if you do something and if and 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 if, if you will or if you don't, I already have a finished work. God already done it. Say, Brother Branham, why are you hitting on this thing tonight? It's the reason is this. If you can ever get the scare out of the church and let them realize who they are, what they are positionally, healing would be the simplest message ever preached. If you can recognize that God gave you that hunger for him that hunger for his word, that hunger for his righteousness, because God has something that Brother Brown said before the foundation world, he wanted to express. He wanted to express himself as a healer, so the only way he could do it was to have somebody that needed healing. And Brother Brown said he couldn't do it with the unbeliever, so he had to predestinate a believer that when he got sick, he could believe that somebody could heal his heart. Because he was ordained to believe that. He had to say, I'm going to send Malachi 4. But before I can send Malachi 4, I got to predestinate somebody to hunger for God that Malachi 4 can come to you and demonstrate this is who you're hungering for. And you say, yes, Lord, I believe it. Why? You are ordained to that. That wasn't your work. That wasn't my work. That was his work before the foundation of the world. And you're sitting hungry for it. And he's pouring it out to those that believe it. Take it off your shoulders. Recognize where it belongs. God said, I wanted to be your savior. So I ordained you to need my salvation. I wanted to be your healer. So I ordained you, predestinated you to be, but receive my healing. God said, I wanted to be glorified in man. Not that man could achieve anything to glorify me, but I'm going to come down in the man and glorify myself. Because he has enough faith to believe me. That's who you are. And Satan's trying to keep you in a position where, Lord, if I was a little bit better, Lord, if I didn't mess up so much this week, why are you still looking at human achievements? Brother Bam said there's no righteousness in a man. No, not one. Brother Bam said I'm nothing, and I pray God help me stay that way. Because as long as I'm nothing, I depend upon him to be something. But the moment I rise above that, I shift it to my ability. I see now Brother Brown's a pretty good preacher. No, get back down again because you shouldn't have rose up to start with. You're not the good preacher. He's the good preacher. You're not the good husband. He's the good husband. You're not the good wife. He's the good wife. He's the good wife in you. He's the good husband. Are you following me? And when we get out of line, don't try to get in your flesh and say, I got to fix it. Say, God, I know this flesh is the one messed the problem up. Now, God, you come down. You take control of this tabernacle. Forgive me, Lord. You show me how to love her. You show me how to love him. Because this flesh ain't doing such a good job. He's trying to be the achiever again. But his achievement is when he tries to do it, Brother Bram said, in himself. You see what I'm getting at? Let me read this and I'm going to try to finish. You're afraid. You don't realize you're sons and daughters of God. Not that you will be. Now you're the sons and daughters of God. Not wealth in the future. Now, I want you to watch this. El Shaddai. You see, when we get in a situation where something is beyond our ability, we got to learn where our strength comes from. 
It's not ourself. It's something that's being poured in us. Watch what Brother Bam says in El Shaddai. I'm going to read his quote in the description. I'm going to let you go. Why do you have, why you have no life in your body? Now, now God's talking to Abraham. Tyler messes El Shaddai. Why you have no life in your body? Your body is as good as dead. But I'm the breasted one. Just take a hold of my promise and just keep nursing. There's a little people try to tell me, Brother Holloway, you know, really, you should think about that, sur- that surgery. <laughs> I did think about it, and I made a decision. I ain't changed my mind. Not unless he says something different to me. But as long as he gives me a promise, I'm staying there. And when somebody tries to say something different, well, Satan maybe comes to me one night and say, you know, you're a crazy man for not taking that surgery. And you know you got some insurance that'll take care of most of the bill. You're a fool for not taking that insurance. Then all of a sudden, I mean, taking that surgery. Then all of a sudden, I start doing like God told Abraham. I made you a promise. I'm El Shaddai. Forget those thoughts. Turn your head on my breast. Start nursing that promise. What did God say? You said you're my healer. Amen. I'm the Lord that healeth all our diseases. Amen. By my stripes you're healed. Amen. I mean, I really don't need but one. But I can go through Old and New Testament quoting scriptures. Why? Because I'll give you the desire of your heart. Why? Because I'm nursing from El Shaddai. I'm trying to get you to stop putting the pressure on yourself. Follow the simplicity of the word. If you have a need, learn where you draw your strength. It's from his promises. El Shaddai. Let me keep going. I'm going to finish this quote and then I'll read the scripture and let you go. He said, take a hold of my promise and just keep nursing. He nursed for 25 years. We can't nurse 10 minutes. And they call ourselves Abraham's seed. Hallelujah. I'm Abraham's seed. Abraham said, take a hold of God's promise and stay with it. Just stay there. Nurse on the satisfier. Stay there and nurse until your heart is satisfied. And you say, Lord, now I believe. That little bit of momentary. I forgive me for doubting your word. I believe, Lord. And now you can move on. Why? Waiting on the promise to be performed. Now, let me go on down and read the scripture to you. And I'll let you go. I'll let you go. Romans. Back to Romans. Chapter 10. My. Yeah, I'm going to have to skip this. Romans chapter 10. You've been a good audience tonight. Nobody's going to sleep on me. I didn't see you. If you did, you got by me. But God wants you to rest on his word. Romans chapter 10. Actually, I'm skipping a whole lot here, but. Time won't permit me to deal with all this. Back to Romans 9. Romans, Romans 10, verse 9. The Bible said, If thou wilt confess with thy mouth, listen, the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I like this. Sometimes, even around this message, people struggle. Am I really saved? He said, If thou believe in thine heart and had enough audacity to confess that with your mouth, God's my Savior. Jesus Christ, my Lord. There's a promise that goes with that confession. Thou what? You might get there. Thou shalt be saved. There's a difference between being saved and being bride. But God makes it so plain to a man that can believe in his promise. Then step across that line and know that you've passed from death unto life. On the simplicity of believing that one scripture. You see what I'm getting at? 
But Satan would keep us so preoccupied with, well, am I living a good enough life? He didn't, Brother Brown said, I can go fishing every day of my life and not preach another sermon and know I'm saved. Why? Because I'm not basing it upon what I'm doing. I'm basing it upon what he did. But now if he does the job right, Brother Bram said, then there will be some fruit that follow that. But you're not putting your, your confidence in your works. You're putting your confidence first in what he's did. And if you let him stay there, then eventually the fruits will come. Are you following me? Let me keep going. But those fruits won't be your works. It'll be his works. Let me keep going. For with the heart man believeth. See where it starts? The hunger is from the heart, not the head. And when the word comes to the heart and tells you the thing you've been hungering for, I'm here to give you that. And then on that basis, you accept him. The Bible said when God told Abraham, I made you father of nations, look at the stars of heaven and count them if you can. And the Bible said Abraham looked up and he believed. And at that moment, it was imputed unto him. Or it might have been another 25 years in coming. But right then, it was already imputed to him, that promise. Now watch this. Actually, it was given to him before the foundation of the world, but you know what I mean when I say imputed to him. God right then recognized his faith. For the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whoever, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. I'm going to stop right there. God wants us to move into that realm. Look at his promises, all of them. The Holy Ghost, what is that? The Holy Ghost is not a work. He said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and the promise. It's a promise. Paul said, oh, foolish Galatians, who would bewitch you that you should not obey the commandment of the Lord? Did I receive the Holy Ghost by works or by faith? Every promise is not connected to your works. The promise is connected to the one who took the burden to make the promise. He just wants you to believe the promise. Then he comes and does the work. You see what I'm getting at? Let's bow our heads. Musicians come. Musicians come. No, no magicians. Musicians. How many love them tonight? Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your grace tonight. I want to thank you for what you've done for us, the promises that you gave us, the precious promises by your word. Lord, and you've been teaching us not to rest upon carnal flesh you gave us a desire to achieve but our achievement was always to be by our faith not by our works our achievement was to believe your word have enough faith to walk in it and know the one that made the promise is faithful and just and fulfill all his word every head bowed there's any here tonight this desire say Lord Help me to enter this rest. Lord, help me depend more on your promises for everything I have need of. I literally mean that, church, tonight. Everything that you have need of. 
Ask God just to help you, show you the promise pertaining to whatever Satan's trying to burden you with. Let him take care of that burden. When God called Israel out of Egypt, he provided for everything they had need of in the journey. They just had trouble resting in what he had already provided. Let's not make the same mistake. Lord, you see the hands. Mine up too, Lord. God, give us that measure of grace. Faith to believe all that your word has promised. To leave here tonight thinking about that. Lord, let us focus on the promises. The prophet told us to pick up the Bible, read it cover to cover, and mark every promise. He said it's an arcade full of promises. He said, and they're all for the believer. Lord, tonight we count ourselves as believers. Lord, help us to recognize that we've made mistakes in our life, Lord. We've sometimes tried to be achievers when we shouldn't be. We should be recognizing the true achiever. That's the Holy Ghost that said I miss. God, may your spirit move in us in such a way that you can achieve every promise that you made in our lives. Lord, that you might be glorified in these mortal bodies. Lord, we commit ourselves unto you. Bless the pastor in his absence, O oh God. Bless his son with him, O oh God, in the travels. Bless this church, O oh God, that you may continue to pour out your riches upon him. Even in his absence, may he come back and see them more stirred, Lord, than when he left, Lord. Believing that the same God that he committed him to when he left, God, that same God was more than able to keep him until he returned. Lord, you're the true shepherd. We commit him unto you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen, 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 amen. Amen. just to rest upon his promise, just to know the Savior, Lord. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. How I trust him, how I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, how sweet. Trust his cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge me the healing cleansing blood. Oh Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I How I trust Him, how I.
precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. And I'm so glad I learned to trust Him, precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that Thou art with me and wilt be with me to the end. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him more and more. Jesus, Precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I proved Him more and more. Jesus, But in trusting, it's not in running, but in resting, it's not in wondering, but in praying that we find the strength of the Lord. It's not in trying but in trusting it's not in running but in resting it's not in wondering but in praying that we find the strength of the Lord no it's not in trying but in trusting it's not in running but in resting it's not in wondering but in praying that we find the strength of the hold you any longer this evening I'll just sing one more song here and you'll be dismissed so just sing this as you go and all is well yes all is well for we have heard the message shalom and For there is a place of purpose